Hello, I'm Bonnie Snowden, ex-corporate person and mother turned successful artist entrepreneur. It wasn't that long ago though that I lacked the confidence, vision and support network to focus on growing my dream business. Fast forward past many life curveballs, waves of self-doubt and so many lessons learned and you'll see Ignite, my thriving online coloured pencil artist community. A community that changes members' lives for the better and gives me freedom to live abundantly whilst doing what I love and spending quality time with my beloved family and dogs. All whilst creating my best artwork with coloured pencils and mentoring others to do the same. But this life wasn't always how it was for me. It used to only exist in my imagination. I've created the It's a Bonnie Old Life podcast to help increase people's confidence, share mine and my community's experience and hope through fascinating personal stories, champion the other amazing humans in my personal, professional and membership community and create another channel through which I can support others to realise their dreams. If you're a passionate coloured pencil artist or an aspiring one who's looking to create their best work and a joyful life you love, you're in the right place. Grab a cuppa and a custard cream. Let's get cracking. When I first started teaching, I never imagined I'd be meeting, let alone making friends with people all over the world. My next guest is a photographer from Texas. She joined my community back in 2020 and has been an inspiration to so many with her generous giving of her photography knowledge. I'm delighted to be speaking today to Ruth Hoyt. Thank you, Ruth, for uh, for joining me for this interview. And it's really, really lovely to, to see you and have you here. Well, I'm flattered to be here. I always feel a little bit outside of my comfort zone because I'm a photographer, not a um, a pencil artist or an artist, actually. I mean, I consider you an artist. I've seen your work, but you're surely as a photographer, you, you're classed as an artist. I mean, you know, your photos and everything are absolutely amazing. Well, thank you. I work hard at it and uh, I love what I'm doing. I believe that if you love your work it isn't work and I know that's how you are as well yeah yes definitely and it's (laughs) um, kind of a a little bit um yeah it kind of gets in the way sometimes doesn't it because you end up just doing it all of the time Uh, yeah that's right (laughs) do you find that with yours then do you find that your kind of photography just takes over everything Oh, it does. I mean, my trips, uh, even if I'm not working with someone, it's all about photography. <laughs> I'm always, always shooting, always have a camera in my hand. Yeah. Have, have you always loved photography then? Is it something that you've always done or was it something that you kind of, I don't know, I don't, I don't really know your, your back history? Well, actually, I've been teaching photography for more than 30 years. So you can say that it's been with me for a long time. But I'm retirement age, so it's it's something that I started as an adult. I always liked to draw as a kid. I was horse crazy and drew horses, just, you know, pencil. I never had art lessons or anything. And at one time, I think I wanted to be an artist, uh, but that didn't materialize. I was a music ed major in college. I was married and had a, um, a husband who was interested in photography And we divorced and he left his camera equipment and didn't want it. And at one point my house was broken into and the camera equipment uh, was stolen and I had to replace it. That was my insurance policy. I had to go out and replace the camera equipment. When I did that, I had no idea how to use it. And so I took a basic education class on 
photography. And so that's how I got into photography. I joined the camera club and from there it was downhill. I, I knew I was going to be doing photography. God, so, okay. So that is not, not what I expected at all. So it was almost <laughs> like a, <laughs> it was almost like a sort of, um, not a mistake, but a, a sort of, you sort of fell into it for, for all sorts. Oh, I did. I did. I, I did fall into it, but like everything I do, if I find something interesting to do, I don't just dip my toe in the water to see if it's warm or cold. I jump in and that's what happened with me. I, I joined the camera club in St. Louis, Missouri, where I was living at the time and was the rookie of the year. You know, it, they always had competitions and things like that. And, and I got into that for a while, but after a couple of years of that, I said, mm, I, I'm not so much into the competitions. And I started, started an organization called MONEP, M-O-N-E-P. And um, to this day, it's, it's a great organization, M-O-N-E-P.org is their website. And it stood for Missouri Nature and Environmental Photographers. And we met once a month and we did not have any competitions. We didn't have any formal um, business done at meetings. All of that was done on the backside. We had a board of directors that did everything in the back, uh, in, in the back, you know, nobody saw all that. So people who would come to the meetings would come to the meeting and be greeted by somebody and um, you sit down and start talking. And then we'd have a program and somebody would be there to talk about a certain aspect of photography, whether it was about birds or underwater photography or Photoshop, it was something connected to photography and nature photography in particular, but sometimes we had more general subjects and we would get all kinds of different guest speakers, you know, a biologist or an ornithologist or a Photoshop guru, you know, it just depended on what the subject matter was going to be that month. So we would have, have a meeting in person. And then that following weekend, we would have a weekend field trip and you never knew where we were going to, well, it was always planned, but we did, we ran the gamut of things to do. I mean, we did all kinds of uh, nature photography it was quite fun. And when I moved to Texas, my first class here wanted to start a camera club. And I told them about MONEP and we decided to start a TechSnap. So we still have TechSnap here. MONEP was founded in 1996 and uh, TechSnap 2001. So they're both, I'm going to say, established organizations, a lot of fun. Wow. And uh, yeah, so I mean, and that, how how we've kind of, I mean, you, you're part of my community and you have very kindly come in and given us, you know, if we've had like a session on photography or, you know, Photoshop or something like that, you very kindly come in and done a session, um, you know, for us, which has been fantastic. And I know you and I want to work a little bit closer with doing that sort of thing as well. And yeah. maybe, uh, maybe sort of like a pre-recorded course, but is that something that you, Obviously, you do that within your the camera clubs, but is that something that you do for other people as well? Or I'm a teacher at heart. Uh, like you, I've got a history of teaching and, and coaching before I taught photography. And by the way, when I started photography within a year and a half, I was teaching photography. It was a fast track for me. But I've taught all kinds of things. I was a music ed major, so I taught piano and clarinet. I loved dogs and 
um, had Weimariners and uh, got into dog showing and obedience trials and just all kinds of activities with dogs. And so I, I taught dog training too, as, as just for fun. It was, it was one of my hobbies, but I was really intensely involved in it. So yeah, teaching photography just sort of fell into place, you know, once I knew what I was doing a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So you really are that, that sort of person that once you start doing well, quite a little bit like me, actually. Yeah. So when yeah, you start totally. with something and you, you, you kind of think, oh, hang on a second, this is going to be okay. And then you just put your all into it. And, um, you know, some people go quite slowly when they're developing their skills and everything. Other people are really quite, quite fast. And it's almost like this, like, and it sounds like you pick things up very, very, very quickly. And if you have that passion for it, then it's about sharing whatever you've learned with other people. Exactly. I mean, I teach people of all levels and skills and ages. So in the summertime, I'm doing youth photo workshops and nature photo camps and things like that. And the rest of the year, it's, well, it could be anybody. I do private instruction. I take people on tours and workshops, field trips. It's it's whatever they need. Uh, since the pandemic, I do a lot on Zoom now. When people get a new mirrorless camera, which is the, the latest thing, I will do a two-hour session with them as they set up their camera because most people don't want to read a 500-page manual. A lot of these cameras have very long manuals. So rather than read the manual and try and figure it out and make lots of mistakes, they'll get with me and we'll do a two-hour Zoom. It usually takes about two hours to completely set up a brand new mirrorless camera. And as we go through each of the menus and settings, I'm asking questions so I know what their preferences are so I can help them put the right settings the first time around. We do it on Zoom and I record it. And as part of the fee, I send them the recording so they can always go back and see what we did. And if they want to change something, they can always call me and change it. Wow. That sounds like an amazing service to have I mean I you know I've got a, a little DSLR camera here and to be honest I haven't I don't think I've taken it out of its bag since 2020 <laughs> as I do everything on my iPhone and I I'm, and then I, I kind of get it out and I kind of look I don't look particularly professional but you know I kind of, it's more of a point and shoot and I have no idea what I'm doing um at all <laughs> but you, you've you know. been busy yeah you've been busy doing other things though well I have, and, I have but and, I, I have I find it really difficult to understand the the light settings, you know, like the ISO and everything like that. It it doesn't seem to go in. It, it well, it takes a little bit of knowledge and practice, and you've got the composition part because you know if you're too close to the horse or the dog that the nose is going to be gigantic. So you've you've got a lot of the skills already there you know, it might be easier just to put it in program. Uh, a lot of times when I'm working with someone just to get them going where they don't know composition and all that, I just say, let's put it in program. So you don't have to think about those things. And we work on the basics, you know, the focus, the the composition. Then once we get going, we'll bump it up a little bit and we'll maybe put it in aperture. And uh, I, I like to get people on full manuals. So they get full control of the camera and they decide how light or dark something is going to be and how much is going to be in focus from front to back. And actually I've got a lot of years of practice at this. You know, I was back in the dark ages of film 
where you don't see what you're getting right away. You have to put the film, you have to either process it or send it off to be processed. So it's a long, a long period of time goes from between the time you press the shutter and when you see the results. When I was, um, when digital was just starting to come in, I would get people who wanted to take my class with a digital camera. And I say, well, that's fine. But when we go on our field trip, you need to run at least one roll of film through a film camera. And if you don't have access to a film camera, you're going to borrow one of mine. And it wasn't a question of if it was, you're definitely going to do that. And we shot slides, which is, it requires precise, more precise settings than if you're shooting just uh, film, you know, color or black and white film. And so we would get the slides back and we would do the, the review in class so they would see how it was with film. And a lot of times, you know, the people with digital cameras, I'd ask, okay, what was your shutter speed on that? You know, something was blurry. I'd say, well, what was your shutter speed? And they'd want to look at the camera and look it up in the, in the picture. And I was like, yeah, but you really need to know that when you're taking the picture, not after the fact. And so I know that if I'm trying to photograph a bird and it might be moving, that I want one 2,500th of a second or faster to make sure that it's sharp. That's part of the formula for successful bird photography. It, it runs the full spectrum of the people that I have as students and I'm going to say ranch guests and clients, you know, people I work with on ranches. And uh, I know when I look at your fantastic Instagram, the majority of your photographs are of birds. Are birds your passion? Well, uh, (laughs) my passion is nature and nature photography. My Instagram account is a business account and it's geared toward getting people to come with me and learn about bird photography. So it is a niche. It is a specialty, but I love photographing botanical. I love dogs, horses, uh, you know, deer. I, I photograph everything, but what I photograph the most because of my business is birds. And that's what people know me for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's one photograph that really sort of stands out and I think you've got your, I don't know whether you've got a bird sitting on your camera or you've got a bird sitting on your hand. It's on my hand. Yes. That, that is just, uh, I think that might even be your profile picture. I love that photo. It is. Just it's, fabulous. It's a wild bird. And um, I was on a ranch and of course these ranches don't necessarily have orange trees uh, on them, but this, this particular bird was crazy about oranges and uh, I brought, I brought, I always bring oranges with me when I go to the ranches and I had the orange in a bucket and the bird kept going to my bucket sitting outside the photo blind. And of course, that's not where we want them. We want them out on the perch. I brought the bucket inside the blind with me and the bird came down the steps and sat on the edge of the bucket. He was going to get that orange. And uh, so it sort of became funny. The guy in the photo blind thought that was funny. And his wife wasn't photographing and, and she just thought that was amazing. And I said, well, you know, I bet you if you sit there very still and hold this orange in your hand, that bird will come and land on your hand and eat that orange. And it did. It came into the photo blind and landed on her hand. And I took a snapshot of it. I still have that photo. She's just looking at this bird on on the orange in her hand. And I said, okay, well, it's time for me to set this perch up. And I took the orange out with me. And I I told her and her husband, 
if that bird lands on me, would you please try and take a picture? And so she has a little video clip of the bird landing on me and eating out of the uh, the orange on my hand. And he took the the still picture with his longer lens. So that's that has been my uh, my profile picture for a while. I I need to update because I am older than that now. But <laughs> it's uh, I love that picture. It's one of my favorite pictures. Oh, it's brilliant. The other thing I really, really love as well um, about your Instagram is that you not only share the pictures of the birds, but you also share an image of the the settings that you use for each photo. Yes, I I found out about that not terribly long ago because people are always asking, what were your camera settings? And my my personal thought is it doesn't matter what the settings are. You know, it's the person who takes the picture, not the camera. If you've got the composition and you've got the sharpness, the rest will fall in place. But people are always asking. And when I heard about that app that shows the settings, I began using it because it 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 prevented me from having to always go back and answer that question. So I always try and include um, the backstory behind the photo or how it happened or what was happening behind the scenes or uh, something that tells you about the bird, you know, why it hangs upside down or why it, uh, you know, some of the birds are very quick to come in and others are more hesitant. And you listen, you first, you hear them out in the uh, the brush and then they come in. So it's it's a thing about knowing behavior, animal behavior, bird behavior. It helps get the photo a lot of times. And so I try and include something about what happened and how that picture came to be and do you have uh, you know obviously in texas you have a certain you have you probably well you do have very different birds to what we have here in the in the uk i mean we don't really see the beautiful brightly colored birds that you have there uh what's the most common bird that you usually see oh the green jay is probably the most common there almost every time i go out i pretty much photograph them on a daily basis. So I have a huge collection of green jays and it's a tropical bird. It's uh, blue and green and yellow and black. It's, it's a very colorful bird and it's, it's, it's a resident bird. It's there year round and they generally look really good. Um, they keep themselves very clean and, and uh, pristine looking. Now, when they molt in the summertime, nobody really comes to photograph them. It's very hot in July and August and that's when they molt. So most people don't ever see a green jay without feathers on its head. It's uh, quite comical, but that's that's the the most common bird that I see on a daily basis. We also have northern cardinals, you know, very bright red bird. Um, we have thrashers and titmice. In the springtime, we get painted buntings, which is like a rainbow bird. It's you know, it's it's red and blue and yellow and a chartreuse, a very colorful bird. So those are those are probably the most colorful and common. Once the painted bunting arrives in the springtime, it's there because it uh, it breeds there, it nests, and it raises chicks. That's one of the popular birds that everybody wants to see when they come. We get a lot of tropical birds. I mean, South Texas, where I live, is it down in the very tip of Texas, and a lot of Mexico is farther north than where I am in South Texas. So that's why we get the um, the subtropic and tropical birds. Wow. So there's one, um, not, not a bird, but one of your photos that I have used as one of my tutorials, which is the bobcat. 
and and when I was you know you said oh choose any of the photos that you want you know what you know and I was going through I was like oh my goodness because it has the most amazing eyes Mm -hmm. um you know it's got fantastic fur and everything and you've got that sort of lovely blurry background at the back of it so I've used that as one of my tutorials and it it worked out really really beautifully I have to say with something like that when you're kind of photographing like animals that I suppose could be quite dangerous I don't even know how big a bobcat is how did you how do you sort of get those sorts of photos well bobcats are not dangerous they're not much larger than a house cat I mean uh, they might be 20 pounds I mean, they're not very big. Uh, they're much smaller than perhaps like a, a coyote or something like that. But it's not too often that we get bobcat pictures. Uh, that particular bobcat was the photo was taken in August. Nobody comes to the ranches in August except a few private students. And that particular uh, summer, I had uh, a mom and three kids, her three sons, and they came to the ranch with me in August um, because she would save up once a year. She was a single mom and uh, she would save up and every year she would make a reservation with me to come to the ranch. And so here it is. It's an August afternoon. They're not morning people. So, you know, the kids are on school break for the summer. And uh, so they wanted to come in the afternoon. I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, a, a hot August afternoon. I think the youngest at that time was uh, Timmy. He was at, at that time, I think he was four or five years old. So he was just a little guy. And I think there's maybe a nine or 10 year spread between the in the age group of the kids. Anyway, so it was Jenny and her three kids uh, with me at the photo blind in the afternoon. It's very hot. The birds are panting and taking baths. And Jenny whispered, Jenny, the mom said, there's a bobcat. And I hadn't even seen it. It was way off to the left, out of sight. Oh my gosh, I had my 500 millimeter lens. And, you know, that's that's meant for little birds. And here's this cat, this bobcat. And all I could get was half of the face in the in the viewfinder because the cat was so much bigger than birds. And so I would raise my camera and take the top half of the, uh, the, the cat and then lower it an inch or so and get the bottom half. And I would up and down, up and down, I would raise my camera and take shots, knowing that if I got two pictures where it was sitting perfectly still, that I would be able to put the two pictures together in Photoshop and blend them. And that's what you're use, what you used in your tutorial. That cat did eventually come in and drink. And I had a smaller lens in the back of the photo blind, but you know, for the first few minutes, I was afraid to move or make any kind of noise. It, it was a funny situation because Timmy, the youngest, was the farthest on the left. And so he was the closest to the cat when it came up to drink. And uh, it was a young cat, uh, and it didn't really know that it should be nervous about us. It was very thirsty. It was hot and thirsty. And it came out um, out of the brush and into the uh, to the water hole area. And Timmy, with his little point and shoot camera, was practically hanging out of the photo blind window, shooting picture after picture, just shooting and shooting and shooting this this cat drinking. So it was a it was a once in a lifetime experience for these kids. It was a well, I should say a life changing experience because it happened again two summers later. 
another bobcat came and this one came from straight across the field, like a football field, you know, very big field. And Jenny was the first one to notice. Jenny is really into this. She, she said, there's a bobcat. And I said, where? And again, and, you know, I, I'm observant, but she's hyper observant. And she said, it's coming across the field. And sure enough, I looked out there and there's this cat walking straight towards the photo blind. And so that cat, I took a vertical shot of the, the whole body as it approached the blind. And as it got closer, of course, it wouldn't fit in the, in the viewfinder. So I changed lenses, but it, you don't see bobcats very often. They're very stealthy. They're cats. They're stealthy. They're elusive. They don't come out in the daytime. They're usually there in the evening. Uh, they're, they're nocturnal, but when it gets hot in August, they're thirsty and they'll wake up from a nap and they're, they're hot and panting and they'll come in to get a drink. So that family got to see bobcats two different summers, you know, two years apart. It was very special. Yeah. I can't believe that you took that incredible, that is two photos joined together. <laughs> that's, I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. That's, yeah. um, that's fascinating. I know, you yeah. know, I, 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 I guess I, you know, I can understand how it can be done, but I mean, I mean, it must have been tricky, was it, to get them to to actually? It was it was Photoshop that did it. I put the two pictures. I found the two that looked the same, you know, just with the top missing or the bottom missing. Put them in Photoshop under Automate, and it will take two pictures, and it does all the work. I, I couldn't believe it because you would have to know where it was to look for it and you still couldn't find it. It, it went under the eyes and up over the top of the nose and then under the eyes. So it's like, sort of like glasses. You really cannot tell in the originals. I've, I've got the original files and you really cannot tell. Gosh, isn't it brilliant that we've got, you know, the software like Photoshop. I mean, I know, you know, I, I use it. I've used it since gosh, the, early 90s and it's come an awful long way <laughs> since then. oh my gosh yes but, you know make it easy yeah I mean it really is a fabulous fabulous piece of software and I know that you know some people say well they, you know they can't afford it and there are free bits of photo manipulation uh, software out there but I honestly haven't found anything that is worthy of photoshop yeah, there there are some other programs, but I, I like Photoshop best. I mean, that's what I cut my teeth on when I started doing digital photography. And actually before digital, because we would scan our slides and then you have a digital image. I've used Photoshop for a long time. And actually for $10 a month, uh, you get Lightroom and Photoshop and all, all that goes with it. Yeah. Um, so it is, it, it's more affordable now, but of course you need a computer to be able to do that. And I know a lot of artists don't use computers. They use their phones and they use maybe an iPad. And, and so it's, it, it's a little different. Although I know you can use um, Lightroom and nowadays you can do a lot of things in Lightroom that uh, used to be just available in Photoshop. So it's, it, it's come a long ways. Oh, it really has. And you introduced me to the, um, Oh, Gigapixel and Topaz Studio, Topaz Labs, isn't it? Topaz yeah, Labs. Topaz Labs. Yeah. So you introduced me to that, which was, I have to say, you know, being a portrait artist, a pet portrait artist, you, you you tend to get a lot of very 
poor photos uh, oh yeah sadly. you know a lot that are with with animals that have passed and all of that kind of thing and you you know you have to make a decision do I use this or don't I use this or you might get something that's a great photo but it's just sort of slightly it's too small and you introduced me to topaz I think probably a couple of years ago wasn't oh, it? oh yeah it's been a while yeah I we met well I'm, I'm thinking we met at the beginning of the the uh pandemic and I think I joined April or May of 2020 mm. and I was already using Topaz. So I don't know exactly when I talked about that with you, but then we did a program on one of your Patreon recordings, but yeah, I love Topaz. I I don't use it every day, but I probably use it almost every day. It's got different components for noisy pictures or unsharp pictures. It will, it will actually use artificial intelligence to improve the sharpness of a picture. And as you said, you use gigapixel, which takes a small picture and enlarges it without losing the uh, the quality of it. So if, if somebody gives you an old cell phone picture of a, of a cat that's deceased or dog or horse, it, you don't have to give up on it um, just because it's a small photo. Uh, you can make it large with the Topaz gigapixel. Yeah, it's been a it's been a game changer for me. I have to say, you know, because and I try I do try to explain how it works, but I, I don't have the terminology. <laughs> um, you know, if you take a small photo, you've got however many pixels in there, and then if you try to enlarge it, all of those pixels when you usually enlarge it, all of those pixels enlarge with it. So yep, it becomes, it's stretched worse and worse and worse the bigger you make it basically right. um, with topaz it kind of fills in all of the little bits in between and you get the enlargement but you also get the you know actually it sharpens it and makes it look better than it does when it was small so it, yeah it's been a huge game changer for me yeah I I use it I don't use gigapixels so much because I use a camera with a lot of megapixels so I I have large images to start with but um, when I work with uh, kids and I'm coaching, I, I coach kids and photographers for competitions and we use gigapixel sometimes if they're shooting just in, in JPEG and they've got a little point and shoot camera, uh, we'll use gigapixel to enlarge it or we'll use uh, denoise or sharpen to uh, clean up the resolution and, and improve the sharpness of it. So, yeah, it's a very useful tool. We have so many of them. Yeah. So coaching for competition, is that more about helping them understand uh, their composition, how to kind of use their camera a little bit better? What what does that sort of entail if you're coaching somebody to? Yeah, well, there are a lot of photo competitions, just like there are artists competitions. And what I do with people, it depends on the competition, what the rules are. We, you know, when, when I'm going to coach somebody, I need to know, you know, what's the competition? What are the rules? Let me see the website. Let me, you know, let me find out as much as possible about it to see how I can help them. And uh, so I help kids and adults. There are adult competitions that are quite prestigious. So we look at the rules together and we see what kind of a competition it is. Some of them, you you just turn in pictures that you've already taken. Whereas other, there are some competitions here in South Texas where you have a six month period to take a portfolio of images and submit the, the whole portfolio. And with those, we'll have sessions where I teach them how to review 
thousands of pictures and narrow it down to the to the best 10. And as the time period progresses of the competition, you know, like, let's say you've got a good picture of a cardinal, but then you take a better one. So now you take the old one out and replace that. So your, your portfolio is evolving throughout the competition. So that's a, that's an ongoing kind of a thing with a a competition that's running. But if it's a competition that says, okay, turn in your best shot of, and then they have categories we'll go through their portfolio and look for the the best pictures. And I'm very fast at eliminating pictures. And it's not that they're bad pictures, but you want to, you want to cut to the chase and get down to the ones that are competition worthy. And so the four things that we look for, well, there's a bonus too. So there's really five, but I teach them, you know, focus. If you, if it's not in focus, it's not worth entering Uh, exposure. If it's too dark or too light, it's not worthy of the competition. And then your composition has to be strong. You have to have leading lines and you have to have an interesting composition. And then the fourth thing I call content, uh, it's the story of the photo. Your picture needs to tell a story, like the bird flying into a perch, you know, he's going to be landing, you know, the feet are out, the wings are open. An action shot generally has more content than just something sitting there. Uh, like a butterfly emerging from the chrysalis, you know, it's becoming a butterfly. It's going through the metamorphosis. You want a story to your picture. And those are your four basic uh, strengths in, in uh, evaluating pictures, but there's a bonus factor. And I call it the wow factor. When you first lay eyes on that picture, if it has the wow factor, that's generally going to be a competition worthy photo. Like you liked the Bobcat, you liked the Oriole, you know, there's something that just draws you in and makes you say, wow. When I'm teaching kids, I always like uh, talking about that because when I start the program, I always start with a slideshow and and talk about things and I'll put up a, a picture that has the wow factor. And it's so funny because when it pops up on the screen, you get the wow And, you know, most kids, you know, they're not, they're not attentive for very long, but when I do a slideshow, I generally have their attention because I try to always include wow pictures and I'll, I'll show my mistakes too. I use my mistakes as a teaching tool. A lot of photographers who teach only show their good work, but like you, I mean, you talk about making a mistake and, and having to erase or add another layer or oops, the eyes too large. I mean, I show my mistakes and I use those as teaching tools mm-hmm. and it helps them relax and know that, hey, we all make mistakes. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, it, it makes you sort of seem quite normal as well. Oh, I don't know. I'm normal. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm, I'm just a regular I'm just a regular person. I carry a camera just like you. And, you know, I just, I have been doing it so long that it's, it's something I'm normally very comfortable. I still get wowed when I see things that are interesting and different. And I I get surprised too. I mean, those kids with the Bobcat, that was a big surprise for them. Well, I was, I was just as surprised as they were. I think in trying to evaluate what makes me like what I do and never get tired of it is there's always going to be something new. You learn almost every time you go out and you'll see a behavior 
I'll never forget. Uh, you don't even have to go out to, to be surprised. Um, there's uh, the painted bunting is a bird that I told you about that. Everybody wants pictures of the painted bunting. It's a little tiny bird and they eat little bitty seeds. And I was at a wildflower nursery and one of the seeds that they sell for, for painted buntings to attract painted buntings is Texas cup grass. And it's the, the seed head has little cups with a little bitty seed in it. And I brought home a pot of that. And I had never seen a painted bunting in my yard. And I had that pot just sitting outside my kitchen window. And lo and behold, a painted bunting came to my kitchen window to eat that cup grass. And I, I was so surprised because I, you know, I've got acres and acres around me and no Texas cup grass anywhere, but that little bird found that pot of grass right by my kitchen window. Surprise. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, do you know, that must be amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, animals, birds and animals, uh, other animals, they're always full of surprises. And, it, I, you know, you, you know about things because you read them, but then when you see them, that's a whole nother story. You know, like we have cowbirds here and they lay their eggs in other birds' nests. And it dates back to um, the bison. You know, when the bison roamed across the, the United States, the cowbirds would uh, follow the bison because they would pick the bugs off of the bison's back. And so they would follow the herd, literally. And they did not have time to build a nest, incubate the eggs and raise the chicks. So they would lay their eggs in other birds' nests and keep on going. And the other birds would raise the cowbirds. And I know a lot of people hate cowbirds and want to shoot them all and get rid of them, but they they serve their purpose. They're they're basically a parasite and they don't they don't um wipe out the other birds because if they did they wouldn't have a host for the eggs. Mm -hmm. So they do have their their purpose. And I I'll never forget the first time I saw a cowbird chick coming in and uh, came to the water hole and its adoptive parent was a cardinal. So you've got this basically a small cardinal and the cowbird is bigger. And so you've got this baby bird bigger than the adult and the adult, it was following the adult cardinal around begging for food. And the cardinal picked up some seed and fed the baby. The first time you see something like that, it's just amazing. Wow. Nature is amazing. Oh, it is. It is. It's, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. But I guess we have the cuckoos in the in the UK that do, do a similar thing. I don't yeah. I don't think they follow anything around. <laughs> They're probably just a bit too lazy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they they end up with, you know, sort of like laying their eggs in, in other birds nests. But uh, oh, and when it comes to your camera, have you always been a one one brand of camera or have you sort of swapped and changed? Well, I, it's like me living in one place. I tend to stay in one place and, and don't move. I lived in Missouri 40 years, and then I've been here 20 some odd years. Uh, and I'm sort of that way with cameras. I started out with a Nikon F3, you know, old film camera. And I actually had learned on an F2. So I had that camera for years and years. I still have it, actually. I, I don't shoot it anymore. But back in... 2000 is when I came to South Texas, January of 2000. And Canon had just come out the few months before with the, um, the image stabilized lenses. And they started with a 100 to 400 millimeter image stabilized lens. 
Nikon didn't do that for a couple more years. And so when I when I came to South Texas, I came with my Nikon equipment, but I had one Canon body and one lens, the 100 to 400. And that's what I used for my long lens photography at the time. And since then, I've completely switched to Canon. I'm all Canon. I still have Nikon. And because I teach and I've, I'm always helping people in the photo blinds, you know, photographing birds, I'm helping them with their settings. I have my cameras on, I have my hands on lots of cameras. And so I'm pretty good about jumping into a menu to find a setting uh, if it's a camera that I, that I don't normally use. Mm-hmm. So I'm Canon, but I, I shoot, I, I help others with their cameras. Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, I have, I honestly, I literally just pick mine up and take a picture. I, I have, um, I, I don't know whether it's because I don't have the, I think it's something to do with maths that I have a problem with and numbers whenever I see numbers or, you know, something like that. So when you're talking about, you know, the, like the shutter speed and all of that type of stuff, if there's anything to do with counting or numbers, my brain just kind of goes to mush. You know, when we eventually meet in person, and I know we will, I want you to have your camera with me, uh, with you. And in, in 10 minutes, you'll get it. And it's not about the numbers. It's just knowing which dial to push or which button to push or which dial to turn and which way you go. Yeah. And it, and it, it becomes automatic. Uh, when I'm like, for example, when I'm sitting with a person in a photo blind, they've got their tripod and they've got the camera on the tripod and they're looking out at the water hole where the birds are going to come. Uh, what I do is I, I coach them a little bit at the beginning. And so we get the cameras set up and we put the settings and they don't know what the settings are uh, and they don't know where to see them or what buttons. It, it's a lesson. And so they're looking through the camera and there might be a bird there. Or there might not. It does not matter. I say, OK, so um, go ahead and focus on the perch where the bird is going to be or where the bird is. And tell me, what's your shutter speed? And they'll say, well, I don't know. And they'll pull their head away from the camera and try to look at the numbers on the camera. I said, no, 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 no. You don't need to look. You just need to look through your camera because it's in there and it tells you. And they'll, 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 they don't know which number is which, of course. And I'll say, well, the bottom left number is generally going to be your shutter speed. That should be 2,500. You'll, you should be able to see 2,500. And if it's 1250 or 800, you know, that's not enough. And all you have to do is turn this dial to get to that number. That's all you have to do. And once they start doing that, I, I get them to be more um, efficient with the camera so that it's just a tool to get what they're seeing through the lens. So you, you, you don't worry about the number. You just worry about the setting. Well, it, it is about the numbers, but just have to have certain things and know where they are so that your your face is always at the camera, never looking down at the camera. That wastes time and you lose pictures. So you're always with your face to the camera and pushing buttons and, and turning dials and looking at things as they change. And it, it becomes automatic within a half an hour. And by the end of the session, people typically say, I learned so much more in this two hours than I have learned in all the years of my photography. And I think it's due to just getting them to have the camera at their face and not 
stopping and looking at what they're doing, but just letting it become automatic. You know, use your thumb to turn this dial, use your finger for that one. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. They have yeah. fun. No, I can, I can, I can imagine. I can imagine. And I, I mean, I'm just not a technical person at all. So I yeah. much prefer the, the simple, <laughs> simply. Yeah. I'm a and very simple need, person. Yeah. You don't need to be technical. If you ever come to Texas, I know you were supposed to, uh, you know, before the pandemic, but mm-hmm. if you ever get to Texas, you got to come down and sit in a photo blind with me. You would just be in heaven, I think. Yeah, no, I really would. I really would. Because that's something that I've really wanted to do. You know, I bought a camera to be able to go and take photos. And it's not particularly, it's a very entry level one. But, um, you know, it just, and then I kind of turn stuff around and I get the videos out, the photos out at the end and go, well, that's not kind of what I was hoping for. And it's why I take, I take thousands and thousands of photos so I can get one that's reasonably good. Yeah. Well, so they call that pray and uh, spray and pray, you know, yeah, spray that's that's exactly and, and pray, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but, you know, just sitting there for a couple of hours, you know, the birds come to us, so you don't have to walk, you know, you don't have to hike on a trail and find things and then get aimed on it. I mean, everything comes to us. So it's, it's sort of like armchair photography and it's, Ooh, it's well, so fun. much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Armchair photography. That's I'm all for that sort of thing. <laughs> Oh dear. And then so just before we we finish, and it's honestly, it's been so lovely chatting to you and and um you know, kind of getting to well, to get getting to know a little bit more about what you do and, and how you do it. Something that I've been asking everybody is when it when it because you know, with me, confidence is a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't always been confident. I've worked on my own confidence and I try and help other people with their confidence can what's your sort of number one tip for either building confidence or if you're not feeling I don't know I mean are you a confident person do you have to do something have you got any strategies to be able to help oh yeah so I'm a teacher at heart I've been teaching photography more than 30 years I love working with a small group and I mean teaching teaches the teacher I've always believed that the more you teach the more you learn But what I like to do is instill confidence in my students and my workshop participants and the people I go in a photo blind with. And so let's say I'm teaching how to find the aperture on your camera. I'll teach it to one kid. And then another kid wants to know the same question. I'll say, oh, I just taught it to Jim. Why don't we have Jim teach you? And what that does is it takes it off of me. And it gets Jim interacting with Susan and Jim teaches Susan what he just learned. And that reinforces what he just learned. And if he gets off track, I help him. I mean, I'm always there to watch and help, but I think that instills confidence. I'm confident because I know I've been doing it for a long time, but uh, it, it instills confidence in what he just learned. He's feeling better about Oh yeah, she just taught me that or how to zoom. It it can be anything. It doesn't matter what you're teaching. You teach it to one person and then have them teach it to another. And then you have her teach it to somebody. Then you pass it along uh, down the line. And I, I just feel so happy when I see that happening because it makes me feel like I know what I'm doing. It it gives me confidence. I'm going to say. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, definitely. And and like you say, you know, if you can, if if you've been listening to what you've been saying and you've kind of taken it in, saying it back out loud, loud again, even if it's to somebody else, it, it just sort of embeds it a little bit more, doesn't it? You know, and it makes right. it more, 
Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's more about installing or instilling confidence in somebody else. As for, as for me, I mean, I've been doing what I do for so long when I'm in a new place and I don't know the birds, that's where I guess being confident that I already know my gear, I just have to adapt it to what I'm seeing. So it's maybe instilling confidence in myself. You know, the camera part, you just got to watch these birds or animals and figure out their behaviors and what they're doing. So it's, I guess, a lot about observation and feeling comfortable with that. Yeah. Soaking, soaking it all in. Definitely, definitely. And I guess just taking a bit of time to kind of, um, you know, get a feel for everything that's new around you and everything. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I like going to new places and a lot of people are sort of nervous about that. And I guess in a way I am too. I'm more excited though than nervous, I think, because I I always want to learn. I think when you stop learning is when you, you become stagnant. So I'm always looking for something new to do. Brilliant. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ruth. It's been been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, you know, I love having you in my community and you're you're so always so, so generous with your knowledge and everything around photography and Photoshop and everything. So thank you ever so much for joining me. Well, thank you. I'm here to help. And uh, I'm very flattered that you asked me to uh, to do this. I, I, I love your podcasts. They're wonderful. I've been enjoying those as well. So oh, I'm happy to be here. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much. You're welcome. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of my It's a Bonnie Old Life podcast. If you did, I'd be so grateful to you for emailing me or texting a link to the show or sharing it on social media with those you know who might like it too. My mission with this podcast is all about sharing mine and my community's experience and hope by telling your fascinating personal stories, championing the other amazing humans in my personal, professional and membership community and to create another channel through which I can support you to realise your coloured pencil and life dreams. If you haven't done so yet, please help me on my mission to spread positivity and joy throughout the coloured pencil world by following me on my socials at Bonnie Snowden Academy or by getting on my list at bonniesnowdenacademy.com. And remember, I truly believe if I can live the life of my dreams doing what I love, then you can too. We just need to keep championing and supporting each other along the way in order to make it happen. Till next time.